This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Tell me about your upbringing. Uh, yeah, I mean, growing up, we just, I was the oldest of three children, kind of grew up in like a, a verbally abusive household. Um, and so growing up with like having no identity and just feeling rejected, um, it just kind of made me want to search for love in all the wrong places. And so that's where I kind of thought like, you know, I would jump, just started jumping from like relationship to relationship because I was just trying to find like a sense of belonging. Your story, though, of jumping between relationships, it doesn't sound that different to most high school kids. Right. So I think for me, I just being rejected in my own household and then I started jumping around in relationships. The first guy that I lost my virginity to went and cheated on me with three different women. And as girls, like when when a young girl chooses to give her virginity away, it's usually because you're thinking like, oh, I'm going to marry this man. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with him. You know, all the naive thoughts that, that you have. And so when I found out that he cheated on me, I was devastated. And it felt like, wow, like I'm being rejected here at home. And now this guy that I thought that I was going to spend the rest of my life with just cheated on me with three people, three women. And so... Um, I, I just kind of was like having a heart to heart with some of my friends and I grew up in San Diego and uh, we were very close to the Tijuana border. So we're like, oh, let's just go party. Let's get drunk. And so um, I go, it's the first time I get drunk and I end up seeing this other club across the way that some of the kids in my high school class would talk about. And so I tell the bouncer he wasn't going to let me in with my high school ID. He's like, you can't come in here. I'm like, oh, I just want to dance. When I said that, not knowing it's a strip club, he said, oh, you want to dance? Come in. And he brings me in and he puts me behind all these girls. Um, and I'm drunk and I have a broken heart. And so I just kind of was like, well, I'm here. Might as well do it. And uh, I take my top off. And that night, not only are people paying me, but men and women are telling me, you are beautiful. You're amazing. Like all the things that... Um, I had hoped to hear from home. You know, I always say that what you don't get at home, you'll look for in the outside world. And for me, I, I had, I was looking for affirmation. I was looking for belonging. And I found that there in a strip club that night. How do you find a sense of belonging in a strip club? It seems awfully empty. Yeah. I think that when you don't have any validation. I mean, you grow up hearing you're a loser. I hate you. You're never going to amount to anything in life. You're hearing that at home. And then you get to a strip club and people are telling you you're beautiful. You're amazing. You know, where can I find more of you? Like you feel like, wow, people want me here, you know? And I think that, um, I read a book, the five love languages, and I don't fall so heavy on Okay, so nowadays I don't fall so heavy on words of affirmation, but as a child, that was something that, like, if you want me to feel loved, you're going to fill my bank up with words of affirmation that mm. are sincere, you know, and I didn't get that at home. And so, like, with my two, I have two beautiful daughters. They're young, but I've noticed, like, my four-year-old, her love language is quality time. That's, like, the worst because it's, like, you have to be very intentional about spending time. 
but I do it because I love her and I want her to feel love. So I sit there and I play Barbies with her, even though it's like, for me, Barbies is so boring, but I'm gonna sit there and I'm gonna get creative and I'm gonna play Barbies with this girl because I want her to feel loved and appreciated. And her whole face lights up when she says, mom, will you play with me? And I said, yeah, yeah, let's go play. It's like her face lights up because that's what makes her feel loved. For me, it's like, not only was my was my tank not getting filled up with words of affirmation, but it was actually being depleted because you were giving me the exact opposite of what I needed. Rather than saying, I love you, it was, I hate you. I wish I never had you. Does that kind of make sense? Those kind of words will break a young girl. You found yourself being pretty popular in a strip club. I'm, I'm guessing this led to the next level. Mm-hmm. So that was one night in high school. I was 16 years old. Didn't go back to the strip club for a couple more years. Um, I was I was a wonderful student. I was a straight-A student, honor roll, and um, I ended up getting into college in Santa Barbara. Uh, so I moved from San Diego to Santa Barbara to go to school, and I was working a full-time job, going to school full-time, and I was just tired. And I think those seeds that were sown in me at the strip club um, and me feeling validated there, I just thought, you know what? It'd probably be a whole lot easier for me to go work a couple nights in a strip club, make way more money. Um, and so I quit my job, started dancing uh, while going to school. And a couple producers had came in one night and were tipping me pretty well and just said, you know, we are um, producers, we make romance movies, you know, if you're ever interested, give us a call. Uh, they said, you know, you are, you're going to be a star. Like they, they just said, you are going to be a star. And for me, I'm like, perfect. I'm going to be a star. Everyone's going <laughs> to love me. You know, it's everything in me was being driven from this because I made more money in the strip club than I did for a scene in porn. One night in a strip club paid me more. And so I wasn't leaving to the porn industry just for the money. It was like the promise of you're going to be known. People are going to know you. People are going to love you. You're going to be accepted. You're going to be validated. Um, and so I ended up getting into porn and I was in that industry for seven years. Tell me a little bit how, how that played out. Yeah. So when I first went and I met with the agent um, and they, you know, I was put in hair and makeup and they were taking my photos, like all of that felt like, um, I don't know. It felt kind of like glamorous. It felt, it felt like something, okay, I can do this. And then to do my very first scene, uh, I was 18 years old. They fly me out to San Francisco and the theme of the movie was basically like trying to find the best pot in California, marijuana. So they were going to different like medicinal stores there and um, we all indulged and the, I had never, I wasn't really like a pot smoker or anything. And so they give me this brownie and I ate the whole thing and I ended up falling asleep for, I don't even know how long. Um, so they had to cancel the shooting that day. And so the next day they said, okay, let's try this again. It was really embarrassing because they had us walk around UC Berkeley asking college guys if we could, um, I don't know how, if I can be very graphic, but they wanted us to ask them, okay, can we give you a hand job? And because you don't have to have an STD test for that. So I'm just like walking around going, this is not glamorous. This is disgusting. Like you want me to ask random guys if I can give them a hand job. And so um, we end up finding somebody. It was me and two other girls that were 
that were already in the industry for a few years. So they kind of like were leading me into this. Um, and then the following day, it was time to do my first sex scene. And that was when I just kind of felt like, what am I doing? Because um, I honestly, like they were throwing out just different positions, like names of positions. And I was just like, what do you want me to do? Like, I was so confused because I didn't grow up watching porn. And now they're saying to do all these. And I was just like lost, like, you know, and so they had to physically show me what they were asking me to do. Um, and it just kind of felt like, I don't know if this is something that I want to be doing with my life. Um, but for some reason, I think I just kind of stuck it out. I had moved into a model house with my agent and there were other women there. And it was very much like, um, I guess kind of like a sorority. Like you have your girlfriends there who have been in the industry longer than you. They're encouraging you to stick it out. Your agents living there and you know, so, and then it almost felt like a family, like every Sunday you're going out to dinner. And so I just kind of thought, well, these women look happy. Like, I, I guess if I just stick it out, you know, things will work itself out. I mean, how did it feel? Did it feel like a, a community, a friendship, or did it feel sleazy or dirty or what? No, at first it felt like, um, you know, I was the new girl. Nobody was threatened by me at that time or intimidated. Like the turnaround rate for a new woman in the industry is usually between 60 and 90 days, they're done. So they just, I mean, they treated me like I was just the new young girl that probably was going to come and go in a matter of months. Um, and then, so at that time it did, it felt like, you know, I was surrounded by these beautiful women who were like big sisters to me. Um, they were kind of like a family to me. Um, and it kind of remained that way for, a, for a little while until I started gaining more notoriety in that industry. Yeah. Just for a clarity, when we talk about pornography, what exactly are we talking about? I mean, we could talk about the Playboy Mansion, for example, would that be considered pornography, for example? No, that's not considered pornography. Um, pornography is more just like hardcore sex where you see everything on when you're watching, you know? Right. I understand. Maybe okay. softcore, softcore porn would still, you know, where you don't really see everything, but you know what's happening. Right, right, right. Both of those are somewhat considered porn. And the team that was around you, uh, was it the same team or did it change regularly? No, um, I mean, as far as like my, my agents, I stuck with my agency for a while. I was with them uh, pretty much my entire time that I was in the industry. Right. And how were they? Were they very decent to you? Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people that were with my agency have like the worst of the worst complaints, but I didn't have a bad experience with them. Like, um, when I first signed up to be in porn, um, I remember them giving me like just paperwork to fill out and everything was abbreviated. Like, like mark off what you'll do. DP, GG, BGG, like A, and it was just like abbreviated. So I just marked off everything. And most agents would have been like, amazing. She's going to do everything. Let's get her shooting every single day because we're probably going to lose her in 60 days. My agent sat down and he, he looked through it and he's like, have you ever done anal? And I'm like, no. And he's like, Mark, take that off the list. Take that off the list. Take that off the list. 
do you feel comfortable having sex with multiple men? Because it was like gangbang. And I was like, not really. He's like, take that off the list. So it was kind of like a setup for me. And I'm not like, you know, obviously porn is wrong, but like my experience in the industry with my agency, I didn't have a terrible experience or I wouldn't have stayed with them for seven years. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the reason why I was asking that is because you read or you hear often about these stories of how smutty it really is. Yeah. Yeah. And there are definitely some agencies that I wouldn't have signed up with because I know the, the agents will really take advantage with the women. Like, you know, my agency, one of the agents there even encouraged me to create a no list and then to create a yes list. So the no list was everybody you don't want to work with, but then that's not enough because how about the new guys coming into the business? So she said, why don't you just create a yes list? So you will only work with these people. So it's like, they were trying to set me up the best they could. And not everybody that was with that agency had that same experience. So I don't know why things were different for me, but like they genuinely, I felt like they were genuinely trying to support like my career choice at that time. Did you build relationships, like actual dating relationships while you were in the porn industry? Yes. Um, men were very much my weakness because I felt validated um, being in a relationship. And so very quickly I got involved in a relationship with a guy, um, who was a production assistant or production manager. Um, and so we dated for about three years and we were engaged and never got married. And, um, thankfully, <laughs> um, so yeah, we were together for about three years. And then after we broke up, that was actually kind of when I, I quit the industry for a short period of time. Um, and then I got involved with another man who happened to be a pimp. And then he got me back into the industry for another three years, three and a half years. It would seem to me that guys would be attracted to you knowing that you're a porn star. And so mm -hmm. you, you wouldn't know what their real motive is for wanting to date you. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. Um, honestly, I don't think I even thought about that back then. I had no sense of self-worth self and I had a lot of insecurities um, that I honestly, like I look back at the guys that I dated and I'm like, what were you thinking? But I was at such a low place in my life that I settled for whoever showed me attention. You talk about self-worth. That's very interesting. Uh, is, is that a common thread? with girls in the porn industry? Yeah, I believe so. I think that when you are willing to sell yourself for money, you're putting a price tag on yourself. And I feel mm. like as human beings, like we are, we're priceless. Like we shouldn't just be able to sell ourselves. Like we shouldn't be willing to just sell ourselves for what, a thousand dollars. You just like, that's not even that much money. You're having sex with somebody for a thousand bucks. Like that's not, it's like you're putting a price tag on you and you're just you're selling yourself short. And I think that a lot of women just don't understand their their value, their identity, men included. Um, and yeah, I think that's a big thing in the industry. A lot of the people that I've spoken to uh, have had stories of abuse, molestation, rape. Uh, overly religious parents that told them they were going to go to hell their whole life if they weren't perfect, basically. So they felt like might as well just just do whatever I want. Like everybody had some very traumatizing stories and that's why they ended up in porn.
did you enjoy being in the porn industry? I think I enjoyed being in the porn industry for less than a year. I enjoyed the attention. I enjoyed, you know, getting my hair and makeup done and feeling like, <laughs> like a low level star. Um, but after about a year, I just felt really disgusting. Um, I had caught like gonorrhea a handful of times up to that point. Um, I just, they were putting me like, because I was so young, I did a lot of the like barely 18 in the beginning until I put my foot down and said, I don't want to do these anymore because I, I wasn't really a woman of conviction back then. But at 18 years old, I, I could see that putting me in pigtails at 18 years old and pairing me with the young men is something that is encouraging pedophilia. Um, and so I just started to feel like very gross and I, and my insecurities furthered and my self-hatred furthered. Um, and so, yeah, after about a year, I just thought like, I'm so done, like I want out, but I had, I was battling with pride and I didn't want to admit to my family that I needed help. I didn't want to like, and, and then also I was battling with a drug addiction already at a year in, I was a coke addict. I was taking, um, prescription pills that I, if I didn't take, I would physically get sick. And so I just started to kind of feel stuck, um, with the decisions that I had made. How many people in your inner circle knew what you were doing? As far as like, uh, my family and everybody, I told them, so they all knew what I was doing. And I'm guessing it was difficult for them. Yeah, I mean, I know my mom had a really hard time with it at first. Um, but something that she had always told me growing up is, you know, my house, my rules. Once you're 18, you can do whatever you want. And so I just, in talking to her, told her, you told me when I was 18, I could do whatever I want. So, you know, you really, like, I'm doing what I want, you know, and... Um, I'm sure that it remained hard, but it became something that I think my family just kind of got used to over the years. Um, I know that like my grandparents had a very hard time, like they never came around to accept it. And, you know, my grandma was the first one to help me when I told her that I wanted out. So, um, yeah. You read something in Revelations, which sort of put you into a Damascus moment of sorts. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so before I got involved with the pimp, I had gone to church with my grandpa after detoxing from heroin and I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I, um, they gave me a Bible at that church. And so I'd started reading it. So I kind of started to develop a relationship with God, get involved with the pimp, get back into porn for another three years. Um, and I just remember one day the Holy Spirit telling me that I needed to leave the pimp and I you know, just thought, how am I ever going to get out of here? You know? And, um, he told me to humble myself and to call my mom and she showed up, she picks me up, uh, and lets me move in with her. And then I'm like, okay, I need to make more money. All my money's been going to a pimp for the last three years. So from there I go to film a porn scene in Las Vegas. And before I leave for the airport, I felt God telling me to bring my Bible. So as I'm on the airplane, I'm reading revelation chapter two, verse 20 through 23. And it says that I have this thing against you. You tolerate that woman named Jezebel. I've given her time to repent. And if she doesn't repent, I will cast her and her children into a sick bed. I'm paraphrasing. I think I missed a couple lines when I said that. But um, 
when I read that, I just, I started crying on the, on the airplane and I'm like, God, like, I'm so sorry that this is what I've been doing. Not only am I miserable and I'm depressed and I'm suicidal, but I've been leading people into sin. I've been leading people into sexual immorality. And I know that I'm also breaking your heart. Like I just had a heavy conviction that day. Um, the Bible teaches that it's godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And that's what I had in that moment. It was true godly sorrow. And it was a true, I had a true heart of repentance. And I felt the Holy Spirit just saying, Brittany, this isn't the life that I have for you. The life that I have for you will overflow with so much love and peace and joy. And if you would just quit the porn industry today, I would bless your life like no man ever could. And so I went to set that day. Um, and I told everybody the word that God had given me that, this isn't the life he has for us and we should all quit porn, but nobody wanted to, to link arms with me. So I quit porn that day and I started going to church and um, God really started to get a hold of my heart and, and he really transformed my life. Why do you think, Brittany, that pornography is so A, appealing and B, addictive? Um. Well, we know through research that porn impacts the same areas of your brain as cocaine, right? It releases the same sort of dopamine into your receptors that cocaine does. And so in the same way that cocaine is addictive, we know what porn actually does to your brain is that it is addictive. Um, it releases a high that makes you feel good. And so especially when people start using pornography, um, to maybe calm their anxiety. Well, all of a sudden their anxiety fades away, right? So it becomes something what's like, when I watch it, it makes me feel good. But because porn is like a drug, just like, you know, I was a, I was a drug addict. So when I would first started doing Coke, that one line was great. But then eventually I was doing massive lines, trying to chase that same, the, that first high. People that watch porn, they might start off watching what I call morally acceptable scenes, maybe it's between a husband and a wife, and then that doesn't fill them anymore. So now they're going to girls with guys, gr multiple girls with guys, or now they're going to guys on guys, or they're going to the young, the young girl and the old man, because why? They are trying to chase the high that they first got when they first started watching porn. Let me tell you, porn will never fill you. It doesn't matter how deep and how dark you get into the world of porn, you will never find that fulfillment there. And so that's why porn is such a dangerous thing, because you're chasing something Something that you're never going to find. You're never going to achieve that first high that you got when you watched your very first scene. It just doesn't happen. It's like a drug. You say you won't find fulfillment, and I'm guessing that's precisely the same thing for the girls themselves. They also don't ever find fulfillment. I mean, the yeah. argument goes that they always look happy, and it's but it's all an act. Yeah. I think... Um, the gift of discernment is a very powerful thing because I, I have people and I don't argue back with people, but they try to debate me on, well, this performer looks so happy and this performer just bought a house and this, you know, and I'm just like, do you not see through her eyes? You know, it's like, you don't see the darkness. She's not happy just because somebody says that they're happy doesn't mean they're happy. You know, uh, there's this, there's a verse that I love, uh, when God says, you know, 
you praise me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Just because you're saying something with your mouth doesn't mean that your heart is in alignment with what you're actually saying. Um, and oftentimes when you are in the porn industry, like, and you put on your, your character, me, like I was suicidal. I was depressed. I was a drug addict. I never talked about that. Mm. Why? Because I didn't want for, I didn't want to be the red flag to um, the production companies. Like we can't hire her because if she offs herself, we don't want to get blamed for it. Or we can't hire her because she's going to be doing drugs on our set. Like, like I didn't want to raise red flags because that was also my livelihood. That was how I was paying my bills. So I'm not going to be fully transparent about the pain that's going on and about all the mental illnesses that I was facing on a daily basis. That would have been out of alignment with my character, with my, my performer, my performer, my character, you know what I mean by character, yes. not my character, but my performance, my act, my acting, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the word uh, that I'm actually looking for, but I think you get what I'm saying. Yes. Your, the role that you were playing. The role that I was playing, thank you. Brittany, how big is the porn industry? It's huge. Uh, I saw um, a statistic. There was, I was reading through a bunch of statistics and basically like porn generates more revenue than it was like Amazon, the NBA no. and something else like combined. Like it, it's a billion dollar industry. Like it's it's wild. I mean, porn is, it's huge. And the statistics of people that watch it are alarming. I mean, my husband and I personally feel called to help people in, um, in the church world. I mean, we'll help anybody, but like our focus is the church because the church in itself is also struggling. Like we see the statistics that say that 70% of men in church watch porn, that 33% of women in church watch porn, and that 50% of pastors and leaders watch pornography. And so for us, that's devastating because are the numbers really even that much better than the people in the world that are watching pornography, you know? And, and I mean, we've seen so many pastors and leaders falling to, you know, they've committed adultery in the last several years, but that didn't start by them just cheating on their spouse. It started because they were watching pornography and they weren't accountable. I mean, we see even in the statistics that 33% of women are watching porn in church as well. I blame more so trauma. I blame um, unhealed hearts because porn is the fruit, but hurt is often the root. So what are you trying to run from? What are you trying to escape? Maybe you were rejected um, by somebody that you loved deeply and you don't find rejection in pornography. So you run to pornography to have your needs fed. Or maybe as a woman, you were taken advantage of growing up. Um, and, and so you now carry on the dysfunction because of the pain in your heart. You carry on, you have a bond with your trauma. And so now you watch pornography because it's really all you know. It's what you've grown accustomed, and accustomed to and comfortable to. Um, and so I don't necessarily blame gender. I blame like lack of healing. I blame mm. the fact like what happened to you in your life, it wasn't your fault, but the healing is your responsibility. Right. And so rather than carrying on the hurt and running to pornography and further ruining your life, um, 
I would say that you should really press in and, and get the counseling, get the therapy, you know, read the Bible, like get healing because you mm. deserve it. Uh, tell me a little bit about how the industry approached that when you said, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, about how the porn industry approached me. Honestly, I don't, I don't quite know to the extent because I deleted all of my social media, all of my accounts that were attached to my past. I, I deleted all of them. I changed my phone number. Like I was very serious when I said that I was quitting the porn industry for good. I was serious. So I had to get rid of all temptation, all open doors. Um, but then once God started to heal my heart and I started going back to porn conventions to hand out Bibles and you know, just minister the gospel to people who, who are hurting and to people who need hope in their life. Um, I started reconnecting with old friends that were in the porn industry and they're like, oh yeah, I heard about that. I heard you left the porn industry. But like, I didn't know what exactly was being said about me because um, nobody had any way to reach out to me. And conversely, how did the church and new friends and uh, acquaintances react to to this uh, change of path of yours? I got connected to a really great church when I was in San Diego. Um, and everybody was that I became friends with was very accepting and very loving. And they saw it as like, um, you know, the, the Saul to Paul conversion, like, this is awesome. Like, God's really saved you. His grace is sufficient. You know, um, I had very few people that my past made them uncomfortable, but uh, I'm it's because, you know, I'm sure they had seen me in porn films. A couple of people had admitted to that. So it made them feel uncomfortable to see me. Um, but honestly, like, I don't know. I, I think that I had more people that were celebrating the grace of God than people that, you know, probably just felt uncomfortable. Well, obviously, then the next phase is meeting your husband. Now, with that sort of body count, etc. Tell me, tell me about how that all all worked out. Yeah, that was rough. I think it was. I mean, I <laughs> want to believe it was harder on me because I had to share everything with him, and that was. I mean, I was opening up about things in my past that I hadn't told anybody because I felt like. I wanted to start our relationship with transparency because I didn't want to feel like I had to lie to get a guy. If he couldn't accept my past, then, you know, we just weren't going to have a good future together. Um, and so we would go out on dates and I would just, you know, I mean, he would ask a lot of questions because he's got a very clean testimony only had slept with a handful of women, like just a, and truly like that was before he came to Jesus. Once he comes to Jesus, his soul gets set on, set on fire for him. He becomes a pastor and he's just the most loving man, same man on stage, off stage, like very consistent in grace and, and love and strength and like truly just a wonderful man. And so, you know, he would ask me things like, uh, so, you know, I kind of just, I don't want to be surprised or caught off guard. Like how many movies have you done? And like would ask me all these questions and I would just be mortified answering them. Um, and I think where it became really challenging is both of us at that time, we were practicing sexual purity. We, d we wanted to not have sex until marriage because we felt that that was what uh, we wanted to honor God with our bodies. We wanted to do that. And so 
There was one time when we were on a date and he got a direct message from somebody that was um, just, I guess, a porn fan who sent him nude images of me with another man. And that for me was really mortifying. And I honestly thought like, man, I think like, God, if you don't grace this guy, he's probably going to break up with me because that was really hard, you know, but he was so gracious. He just deleted it, didn't respond, block the guy. Um, and I think I was a little more traumatized by that than him. But he just, he's just got a grace. I think he says something like, you know, the person that God has for you, you'll be graced for. And, you know, he's just, God has given him the grace and he's very confident and he's secure in who he is. So he's able to handle somebody with a past like mine. So do you ever wake up feeling that, that baggage, the weight on your shoulders of your past? I don't. Um, God healed my heart. He set me free from shame. Uh, he's given me like a mental strength. Like I often, when I, when I counsel women, um, a lot of times they battle with condemnation and that's something that God has given me a lot of grace. Like my mind by his grace is strong. Like I don't battle with condemnation. I don't sit in shame. Like there were moments that I had that I'm not perfect. My mind's not perfect. It's not strong 100% of the time, but more times than not, like if I sit with something, I always run to the Holy Spirit. Like, I, okay, like, God, what do I do here? I'm feeling like, you know, I, you know, I express what I'm feeling in that moment to the Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches us that he is not just a counselor, but he is the counselor and he counsels me. And when I get a word from God, I'm just like, okay, you're right. Like I receive it and I leave whatever shame, guilt, condemnation that I may have been feeling. I just leave it there and I don't pick it back up. If the enemy tries to come back at me with it, I'm like, nope, I'm not going to think about that. Philippians 4, 8 teaches us to focus on things that are noble, praiseworthy, and true. So I'm going to start singing a praise song. I'm going to start worshiping and I'm going to keep my mind focused on Christ. Because when I do that, like I have a mental strength that like my past does not affect me. Like I'm totally okay. And at peace with the fact that I made a big mistake with my life for seven years of my life. And that's okay. Like we all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Your apartment was broken into when you were transitioning out of the porn industry, if I'm correct. What yes. happened there? Was that related at all? Yeah, so I had, that was shortly after I left the pimp, I had got, um, I got my own place and I was at church and I come home from church and I have this cute little white Maltese at the time he's passed away, but, uh, he used to be so excited to see me when I'd get home and I walk in and he's like shaking and I'm like, what is wrong with you? And I look around and my sliding glass door was wide open and I'm like, oh my goodness. So I start looking around and it was like, this person knew exactly what they were going for. They knew exactly where I would keep my, my safe. I had a safe certain prescription pills at that time. I had not gotten off drugs at that point yet. Uh, that was about a month later when I got off drugs. Um, and everything like was just, it was gone, you know? And so I have suspicion as to who it was, uh, but you know, no, it was, no one was ever found guilty for it, but it ended up being a blessing in disguise because I quit porn. So I had no money and I wasn't going to be able to afford my rent. And so the, the company, when I told them, Hey, I'm afraid to live here, I got robbed. 
they gave me back my deposit. They gave me back my rent. So it's like all of a sudden I came up on like a couple thousand dollars that I wouldn't have had otherwise, maybe like three grand. And then I was able to kind of move forward, get a place. So everything that happened, like all the storms, they were blessings in disguise. Oh, now, obviously your husband is an incredible man to have taken mm -hmm. you on. Uh, <laughs> how long did you date be I mean, I'm a wonderful woman now. <laughs> how, how, how long? How long did you date before he um, asked to marry you? Um, I think we were dating for like nine months, but we had known each other for two years, about two years prior to that. And you just knew. I knew, like when I heard him preach a message on stage. So when I went to church, um, or when I sat in one of his services, I was already dating a guy. I said men were my weakness. Okay. Like I was already dating a, a church guy. He wasn't, he just showed up to church. You know what I mean? Like encouraging me to go back into the strip club, like not a man of conviction. And so my husband's preaching and he's like, he just fills this word from God in the moment. And he goes, I need to stop really quick. He's like, I just have a word for you women. I want you to know that you're, you are a, a woman of God and that you are worthy of real true love. If your man is not treating you as a woman of God, he needs to step up or step out, show him the exit sign because you're worthy of real true love and you are worth the wait. And little did he know as he's preaching that message that that same day, the guy I was dating when I was looking for a job was like, just go back to the strip club. So I broke up with that guy and like, you know, men are weak. My weakness, I'm telling God, like, I really like this preacher guy. And God's like, okay, slow your roll. You know, you need to take some time off of dating. You need to be single for a while. You need to grow in me. And so I did just that. I, I broke up with that guy and I just really stayed focused on the Lord. I didn't have social media at that time. Um, I was seeking God on a daily basis, prayer, worship, reading the Bible. Um, and, and God really started to heal my heart and reveal to me who I was in him during that year. So your sex life with your husband obviously is great. And the past has not had any negative impact. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get asked that question a lot, like basically, you know, right. is your sex life in impacted because of maybe past trauma? Um, my answer is no, because for three years, like it was, I mean, for, for two years, I think me and my husband started dating like two and a half years of me being a Christian. Right. But I was literally just me and Jesus all the time. And he truly healed my heart. Like there's a scripture in the book of Acts and there's this woman who is going around and prophesying. And, um, I believe it was Paul, maybe Peter, I'd have to go back, but they casted it out. They said like, like they, that spirit's gone. Like they, they told that spirit to leave in the name of Jesus, right? She could no longer fortune tell. And it said that after that happened, her, um, the people that kind of owned her were upset by that because she could no longer fortune tell and could no longer make the money. And I felt like God did such a work in me that that spirit that was in me, that was allowing me to make the decisions that I made, like it was gone. Like I remember having a conversation with a friend, like before our wedding night, like I am so nervous. Like 
I, it's been three years. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. Like I felt like so restored and so innocent and so pure that honestly, I didn't, I was nervous. It was like a virgin on her wedding night. Like that is legit how I felt, but that's the, like, that's the healing power of God. And that's what his restoration looks like. And unless you've experienced that for yourself, you mm. probably think I'm crazy. But if you have experienced that for yourself, healing from your trauma, um, healing from your heartbreak and from your wounds, like, unless you've experienced that, then like, you, you, you're, it's, you're going to have a hard time understanding, you know? Mm. So what did you do after you left the porn industry? Um, well, I started looking for work. I sent out my resume to a bunch of places, but I your really had nothing. Your resume. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's like I had stuff on there from when I was 16 and then someone asked me, so what have you done for the last seven years? <laughs> I'm like, I was an actress. Well, what kind of films have you done? Oh, let's not go there. Like on Facebook, it's complicated. It was so, yeah. I mean, the interviews were so embarrassing. Like, I just was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, by the grace of God, I found a job and it was the most, like, amazing. It was a husband and a wife that owned a limousine company. And, you know, I know that they knew what I had been doing. Um, and they decided to give me a chance. They decided to give me a chance. And so I was making like $11 and 25 cents an hour working for them. But I, I learned so many skills. I was working as a receptionist. They also trained me. I mean, this man was like an expert in sales. He taught me how to, how to run the sales portion of his company. Like I really was able to grow under their wing and like, they gave me a chance and I'm so grateful for them. Um, so yeah, that's what I started doing sales reception and how important is redemption then? Yeah, I mean, redemption is a very important thing because without like God's redemption, I wouldn't be where I am today. Mm. Um, without God reaching down and giving me a chance, like I would have committed suicide. Like I, I honestly didn't think that I would be alive to see 30 when I was in the porn industry because, you know, there were several times when I would try to commit suicide and then I'd freak out and call 911 and they'd have to, you know, get all the pills out of my system with charcoal. And I mean, I would, I would have been dead. Um, and so I'm grateful for God's redemption. I'm grateful for his restoration. I'm grateful that the Bible says that love never gives up, that love never, never gives up hope. And God continued to believe in me when I gave him no reason to believe in me. Um, and because of that, his kindness eventually led me to repentance. Is the suicide rate high in the porn industry? Yeah. Um, I lost a friend, like a very, very close friend of mine who I was still friends with while being outside of the industry for like the last several years. Um, and she lost her life um, due to, we believe suicide. I never got to see the, the report that came, I don't, I, I've looked it up. I can't personally find it, but that's what I think it happened. So anyways, in pre preparing to do a podcast episode on that, I started looking, um, at all the porn star deaths because there's usually, there's a record you could Google like porn star deaths and, um, the industry usually puts all of that out. And I was just 
like I was in tears as I was going through it because there were other people that I knew in that business that had committed suicide or they died from drug overdose. Um, and the percentage rate is very high. Like most of the, these people too were under the age of 35. It, it was really heartbreaking to, to see those, to see all of that. You say under the age of 35, but what is that sweet spot for girls in the industry? Who commit suicide or who... No, no, no. I mean, I mean the age of, you know, the, the prime age of being in the industry. Yeah, between 18 and 21. I mean, right now I'm working closely with Exodus Cry to try to get that age limit moved up to at least 21 because we know that an 18-year-old still has an underdeveloped brain. And so when an 18-year-old sees this opportunity of, perfect, I can get into the porn industry and I can leave behind my household because my parents don't want to buy me anything or my parents are abusive or, you know, I'm, I need to get out of this situation, they, they will run to porn. Um, and then they end up with even more trauma because their poor underdeveloped brains are being abused and you're experiencing things that nobody in this lifetime should have to experience. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, most people will get into the business at a very young age. How do we fight it? How, I mean, what do you think are some ways to combat the porn industry? Um, well, you can go to, it is called Barely, um, oh my goodness, I have to get the website for you, but there's a petition that you can sign. We are trying to get the age range changed to 21. Like I said, it's with, even if you just go to exoduscry.com, you should find it on there. I don't know the, where the, the petition is, but if you can go to exoduscry.com, I mean, they have uh, an incredible amount of resources and documentaries and they are, uh, we're really trying to take it to a capital level, like where we can actually get laws changed. Um, and so there's a pet petition that you can sign there that would be helpful. I believe that this heavily falls on um, the parents. Like parents, we need to be having the difficult conversations with our children. I was talking to a woman the other day who has two teenage boys and she's never spoke to them about porn. And the sad thing is, is that nowadays, most children have already seen porn by the age of 12 years old. Um, it is a real problem and if we, don't have a good enough relationship with our children or we're ashamed and not willing to have the difficult conversations with our children, then we are setting them up for failure because it's not if they're going to see porn, it's when they're going to see porn. Um, and if you are struggling and you're a parent and you want more on this, we do. We did collaborate with another organization on our website, lovealwaysministries.com. We have um, a whole course for parents to try to help them to have these conversations. But but you need to start having these conversations with your children um, and even like setting them up for success. So how do you do that? Put a porn blocker, go covenanteyes.com, for example, even on the new iPhones that you can blur out, you can set up your settings. So all graphic images get blurred out on your phone. It's like AI technology. So you should set that up on their um, electronics. Also, don't let them take their electronics with them in their bedroom alone, even if it's daytime, just don't do it. I had a friend who she told me, 
yeah, my daughter used to hate to shower. So I got suspicious when all of a sudden she was spending an hour in the shower and her daughter was, it turns out was looking at pornography. And you might say, well, I checked their browser. There's nothing there. Guess what? There are things called hidden browsers. So now your children download apps. They're very clever. Your kids are clever. They download apps. They're hidden browsers. They look it up on the hidden browser and then they delete the app so that their parents don't find out. So parents think, oh, I have a close watch on my children. No, set them up for success. Don't let them be alone with their cell phones. Just don't do it. Mm. Even like for me, my my daughter, I mean, she's still young, but like our plan is just to get her a, a little, um, like a watch so she can make calls and send text messages to people that we approve of. They also have cell phones where you can't even go on the internet. Um, you can look those up, but there are different brands that have phones where you can't, you can't go on the internet, but you can call and text. You mentioned your daughter. You've got kids now, haven't you? Yes. I have two. I mean, yeah, being a mom and being a wife, it was something that I desired my entire life. But I think that I had gotten to a place where I didn't feel like it would happen for me or like I would ever find a man that, you know, I could have children with. It was just like, I started to lose hope because of because of my sin and because of the way that I viewed myself. What advice, Brittany, do you give to to girls? Oh, wow. That that's something that this is very it's very challenging for women who are in the industry that want out to actually leave. And so what I do is I try to, I, I give them, I give them strong advice. Like, Hey, you're going to have to humble yourself because what keeps most of them stuck is their lifestyle. So it's like, well, I'm not going to be able to afford my apartment. I'm not going to be able to afford my car and, and all of these things. And I'm like, these are just luxury items that you may have to lose out on for a season of life, maybe for a few years. It's not that you can't get these things back, but you have to be willing to humble yourself. Like, and I'll, and I'll tell them when I left the porn industry, there was a time where I had to rent a room for my dad for $400. Um, after that, that was after I got robbed. After that, I had to rent a room from a woman for 650 bucks. Like you have to get to a place where you're willing to go beneath your current lifestyle so that you can get back on your feet, get a job and work yourself back up to, you know, where you want to be in life. But most women aren't willing. It's hard. <laughs> no, for sure. And l l let's just be egalitarian here. What advice do you give or would you give to boys who watch porn? I would really um, caution you because sometimes you think like, oh, I'm just watching porn because I want to learn sexual education. Um, I'm watching porn because I have needs and I'm not married or I don't have a girlfriend, wherever you fall at in life. Um, but what you don't realize is like we spoke about earlier in this uh, conversation is that porn is like a drug. And so you might be one of the ones that's like, oh, I only watch once a month, no big deal. Well, I have sat down and listened to testimonies of men who started off just watching once a month and then maybe something happened in their life that was really hard. They, they you know, lost their job or their wife walked out on them and so they started to turn to porn more and more because it was an open door and eventually they became full-blown addicts like stuck in that life and i would really encourage you like while you 
are only maybe watching once a month to just stop watching now. Like, like you have to get to a place where you recognize that porn is doing you more harm than good. And until you can have that mindset shift, you're going to keep watching. But if you keep watching, eventually you're going to regret it. My husband and I talk to people on a daily basis um, that regret watching pornography. So, um, and then I would also encourage you, like, why, why is it that you're watching too? Like, beyond just people saying sexual education, like, I can't, like I, I've gotten to a place in life where my heart's so whole that I don't even, I couldn't even feel good about watching somebody have sex. Like, like my heart is so healed. My heart is so whole that like, like I couldn't watch that and enjoy it. And so there's something going on in your heart that maybe it hasn't been healed. Maybe it has been rejection. Maybe, um, maybe that is something that you're using to numb your pain, but, but that's not something that is healthy for you. Like you have to develop new coping mechanisms. Yeah, I just realized uh, throughout this conversation, I've been using girls and boys, but I, I, I use the terms interchangeably with men and women. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Got uh, you. Is porn also dangerous uh, in terms of one's sex life? Yes. So um, porn porn actually um you can like do all the research is like porn will create like erectile dysfunction um it creates like for example we were talking to somebody recently who like when they are intimate with their spouse like they they no longer enjoy it because the intimacy that they have with their spouse isn't releasing that excitement from the things like porn. It's new. Oh, it's a new scene. It's like when you go shopping and you buy your new outfit and you're like, this new outfit is fresh. I love it. And then after you've worn it like five or six times, it's like, oh, this isn't like, I don't like this outfit as much anymore. Right. Um, or it gets wear and tear, it gets old. And so when you're watching porn, you're constantly watching these new scenes, right? then what happens is you now view your present sex life with your spouse as old, but your present sex life with your spouse is meant to be enjoyable. You're meant to evolve. You're meant to continue to grow and flourish in that area. But once you bring porn into your life, it's not, it, it becomes no longer enjoyable. I guess ultimately we are not designed to watch other people having sex. You're right. You're right. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. What about making movies with your husband or your wife? <laughs> uh, um, well, okay. So I, you're going to get the Christians are going to, okay. So, okay. I, I can't, I can't lie. Okay. Here's how I really feel. If a husband and a wife are in agreement to do what they wish in their, in their bedroom. That's your bedroom. Let that remain your bedroom. Now, I don't, I, I would never say that it's okay for you guys to both agree to watch porn and watch other people have sex. That's, I wouldn't that's, say yeah, that that's it's not, okay. That's not what I was yeah, asking. I, I was meaning about. just, I was meaning just for the two of you. To make it yourselves. That, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying your bedroom is your bedroom. Like, you don't need your pastor's advice on your bedroom. You don't need your best friend's advice in your bedroom. That is between a husband and a wife. What you two, two do together, that you're both in agreement, you both have peace, like, like have fun, enjoy your sex life. If you guys wanna make a movie yourself, 
for you guys. I don't know, like if you guys are both in agreement and it's not hindering, say that there, I, and I do think that it's also a case by case basis. Here's why. There are some people who maybe they were addicted to porn. And so if they were to create um, a video with their spouse, it could trigger that for them, right? So I, it's, I think it's case by case and that is between a husband and a wife. Really been enjoying chatting to you, Brittany. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's a very it's a very awkward conversation. That much I can tell you. It could be. <laughs> yeah, it could be. <laughs> I don't normally talk to other women about the about sex. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, are you hopeful uh, for the future? Do you see things getting better, or do you see things getting worse? Both and. Both and I think um, as we've seen with the history of our world, I mean, Marilyn Monroe was shamed for her one piece bathing suit, right? If only that was still our biggest problem, right? But then as certain things continue to grow darker, people that are living in that lifestyle start to feel more and more empty. And it's like the light finally turns on in their life. And so it starts to like trickle, almost like a domino effect, right? So though things may be getting darker, there are people who are coming out and becoming and, and are walking in the light and having a change of heart and having an awareness of, hey, these things are no longer appropriate, you know? And I see that happening in, not just in the realm of porn, in the realm of health. There's people who are still obese and still eating Big Macs every day. But then there's other people that are like, I grew up on fish sticks and French fries. I don't want that for my life anymore, right? It's like, it's happening in so many different areas. So I see both and things are getting darker, but people are coming to the light at the same time. Um, I've been to your website. Yeah, our website, lovealwaysministries.com. Um, we just started our ministry. Uh, Gosh, probably in 2020, and we've been very part-time with it, but we are, like, we're adding more and more to our site. So as of right now, uh, we have courses on there that are available. We have a course um, for men and women, uh, two separate courses, one for women, one for men, uh, called Search, and it's to help people stop searching and start living. If you're struggling with pornography and lust, like, that's a great place for you to go. We have a free course for singles who you're like, man, I'm single. I want to get married. It's a great course for you to help you um, just kind of get on the right track. It's a free course. You can sign up with your email. We have our books that are on there, a purity book. It's called A Call to Purity. Despite what you might think that purity is just for singles or, you know, young people, purity is actually a matter of the heart. And so it's actually a book that will help you dive into some of the issues of your heart because the word purity means to be uncontaminated. And then we have a 40-day devotional on there um, to help you overcome porn and to walk in purity. Uh, and then we're going to be adding connect groups very soon. Uh, the page is already up on our website. If you want to get connected and stay accountable to us in our ministry, we're going to be doing once a month teachings. We're going to have a group me um, chat set up so you, that you can stay accountable throughout the week um, and throughout the month rather until we meet again. So that's a great place to, to join and to get connected. You are an inspiration. Thank you. I appreciate you. And thank you for giving me an opportunity to share my story and just some wisdom and advice on your page or on your podcast. Brittany Delamora, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Yay. Thank you.
If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.